Good evening, everyone. CK back with you for another session of Studio 600, that highly cerebral talk show featuring Roger Burton, who, of course, joins us each show from a safe and secure but undisclosed location. Ladies and gentlemen, that is pretty much for your protection, actually. Welcome, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back. And uh, I believe we have a caller. Uh, good evening. You're on Studio 600. Oh, is that Charles? Yes, it is. Who have we got? It's Mike Pritchard. Yes, sir. Uh, sorry we don't have a call screener, and uh, you're calling in just a tad late, but that's perfect. We just got through opening the show. Mr. Pritchard, thank you very much for coming back. Thank you uh, for having me back. We had you just a little less than, or about a month ago, and we talked about one topic, but within that topic, I, I got to your website and I saw that you had done quite a bit of research on the Gnostic Gospels. Yes, that's and, right. And it just so happens that that I'm interested in the Gnostic Gospels. I think the mystery and intrigue surrounding the Gnostic Gospels it's just it's just amazing, and of course I I finished the book Da Vinci Code, and quite honestly, it's the most entertained I've ever been by a book in my life. Okay. Have you read the book? I've looked at the book. I've got a copy here of the book, but uh, I've looked. I've seen the film. Okay. Um, I have not seen the film, so you're uh, you've seen the film. I've I've read the book. Yep. But. In the Da Vinci Code, they they talked a lot about the Gnostic Gospels. To be honest with you, because I am not a learned Bible scholar, or really am not that much up on philosophy or other or theology or anything like that, I really didn't know that much about the Gnostic Gospels, and I didn't know that there was a Gospel of Mary Magdalene and a Gospel of Thomas, and a Gospel of, is it Philip, I believe, which are among the, the, the Gnostic Gospels. And, and, and it occurred to me that it was rather strange that some of the apostles or disciples, and I'm not really sure, I know the, the difference between those two terms, uh, wrote things or things were wrote about their experiences, and they were not included in what we call the Bible. And some others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were. Could you expand on that a little bit and tell us uh, how that came to be? Well, in the first century, there were lots of different Christian writings. There was no one that you could call the church and no uh, defined uh, text you could say represents Christianity. Um, these these yes, um, groups which had texts uh, and, and not everybody had all the texts, had ones, others um, had others, and common thread really were the four Gospels, which pretty much everybody accepted as far as we know. Um, 
but there were differences in various groups and they split into different uh, forms. One of these is the conventional um, form of Christianity which we have today, the one that prevailed. And that form prevailed over all the others uh, really because uh, there was a Roman emperor called Constantine who adopted Christianity uh, as his religion and then as the religion of the Roman Empire. And uh, he held a council called the Council of Nicaea uh, in 325, and they, they met to really, uh, discuss what should be in and what should be out of the Christian faith. And there, there were lots of arguments, and they, they basically said that certain texts, such as the Gospels, the writings of Paul, the texts that we have today should be uh, accepted. And then later in 367, there was uh, another council which said specifically what texts to include. The rest were excluded as heretic. Yes. Uh, then there was a campaign to persecute um, those who had the other texts. Uh, they became known as the Gnostics, general term. Uh, and some of these texts were buried. Uh, most were burnt. And some were buried in secret and were later discovered. Others, such as the Pistis, have passed through uh, various hands through the centuries. There's copies of that around. Um, so we, we have rediscovered these ancient texts now, which were discovered in the 1960s. Yes, in the 40s? And the 40s, yes, yes. that's right. Uh, and that was the, the most, um, well, influential of these is the Nag Hammadi Library, which has um, those Gospels that you mentioned, apart from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which was found a bit earlier. And recently there's been a discovery of the Gospel of Jesus. Yes, and that was in the news only about a month ago, that there had been this discovery of the Gospel of Judas, which, well, who would have ever thought that Judas would have, would have even gone on as a minister after the betrayal of Christ? Yes, but if Gnostics, he wasn't um, a bad guy. He was seen as fulfilled a mission. Yes, and fulfilled a prophecy. That's right, yeah. He played his part in the, in the role, in the, the drama that, that um, lived out in the life of Jesus. And so in the Gospel of Judas, he's, he's really seen as, as taking on this mission and being seen as the only one uh, who could take on this mission. What do you think... Uh Mr. Pritchard, about the theory that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were a married couple. Right. Well, there is a, a text, an Gnostic, uh, Gnostic text, which says, and, and Jesus kissed, referring to Mary Magdalene. There's a bit missing then. Yes. Say, well, it's on the mouth, was it? Or we don't know. Yes. Um, it was seen as a, a prostitute quite a long time by the, um, the Catholic Church, but uh, actually she she wasn't. She was very close to Jesus, the the, um, the ministry, 
um, in fact, mentioned in, in Luke as one who ministered to Jesus. Yes. Uh, in, in three of the Gospels, she's a witness to Jesus at his crucifixion. And he's the, the first to really see him after his, his uh, resurrection. Yes. It, it would be fair to say, would it not, that uh, from from a from a human standpoint, at least, uh, even in the even in the Gospels, that the, the Catholic Church allowed to stay inside uh, what we know as Christianity, uh, that she um, she would have been. A very, if not a central figure, at least one of the most important figures in Jesus's life. Yes, definitely. Even going by the the New Testament, um, she's a central figure in Jesus's life. That's right. And and you know when I when I read the book, the Da Vinci Code, I I learned a lot of things that I did not know, but then when it just so happened that I was able to also in the last year or so see the movie that Mel Gibson did uh, and it occurred to me because the hypothesis for those of you listening in the Da Vinci Code is that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's wife and they had at least one child and uh, they also point out that it would be very very bizarre for a rabbi such as Jesus to be unmarried that Jewish law would have in essence, Jewish law and custom would have required him not only to be married but to procreate. And then I saw the, uh, then I, re I reflected on Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, and indeed it appears to me that Mel Gibson portrayed Mary as a wife. The, the behavior that Mary exhibited during the crucifixion and after the crucifixion was the same behavior you would expect of a wife, which I felt gave credence to the theory in the Da Vinci Code. Do you have an, a feeling one way or another uh, whether Mary was indeed a wife as well as, an, as, well as a disciple? Well, uh, in Gnosticism, we look at it that at least would symbolize um, if not a wife, then um, a part of the bridal chamber, as um, as Gnosticism puts it. Um, because if you see in the Da Vinci Code, you've got this picture of the Last Supper, and there you have where it should be John, who looks like a woman. Yes. People are suggesting, well, maybe this is Mary Magdalene, who sits uh, close to Jesus. Then you've got the the V symbol there, which is a symbol of the grail. Uh, the grail represents the, the female um, a womb, if you like. Yes. That pillar then, which, which is like the male sexual organ. And this is all referring to something um, the alchemical thing in Gnosticism that uh, is, is part of the hidden secret teachings. But it's all wrapped up in in these uh, myths and these symbols. Yes, and and why the secrecy? Is there is there a theory as to why? Yes, there there is because if you look 
at uh, three of the the Gospels. Um, well, one in particular, the, the Gospel of Mark, it's written in there that Jesus used lots of uh, stories when he spoke to people, parables. Yes. It says there that he taught them as much as they could understand, but he didn't tell them anything without using stories. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. And that's pretty much uh, written like that in the Gospel of Mark. And there's something very similar in Matthew. Uh, so there, even in the, the Gospels, it's that was this public teaching which Jesus had, and there was this secret, more esoteric teaching, uh, which he gave to his disciples. And what we see in that division between Orthodox Christianity and Gnostic Christianity is that there is the, the public life of Jesus in conventional Christianity and then the teachings of Jesus, his disciples, in Gnostic Christianity. And there you have the, like the basic um, essence of the split, of the difference between the two kinds. If we look at many of the Christian uh, denominations, including the Catholics, we find that women have been pretty much relegated to a secondary role. I was in a Protestant church that uh, did not believe in, in women having a leadership role in church, and it, may, it appears, based upon the theory of the Da Vinci Code, that this was a twisting of the of the real yep. uh, idea by the Catholic Church, and that w one of the reasons that Mary Magdalene was demonized, and by the way, the Catholic Church later admitted that they knew she wasn't a prostitute, yep. and and apologized a couple thousand years later, but and was so that that part of Christianity could be uh, submerged. Uh, submerged. You do you feel that's correct? Yes, that's right. It was all about suppression at those early times. Uh, the Gnostics were effectively murdered out of existence. I mean, that's it's a dark time in in Christian Christianity's history. Yes. Now, I I was in the Middle East about five years ago and visited some my relatives there, and I found that my relatives are members of a religion called the Druze, not Druids, but Druze. And lo and behold, they believe that women are a better receptacle for spirituality than men. And it's so strange. And they also, uh, they also revere the Gnostic Gospels as well as uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and and uh, the Quran and, and other so-called holy writings. And that just, that, that stuck in my mind that in this part of the world where women are suppressed, there's this little sect of people calling themselves Druze who believe just the opposite of almost every other religion in that region. And then I read, I, I only found out within the last year that they they revere the Gnostics as well. So it is a very interesting 
topic. Now, give a, tell us a little bit about, uh, a little bit more that you think we need to know about the Gnostics. We're running long, and, and I want to get some more of this in. Well, in terms of Mary Magdalene, um, she, she was um, demonized almost, well, put as a prostitute by the church, but she was seen as, in a way, the closest to Jesus um, after his death. And in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, he actually answers questions that the disciples can't answer themselves. And she's seen uh, or portrayed there as secretly with Jesus at an even higher instruction than the disciples. And uh, they, they take her up on this and uh, they say, well, why is he secretly to her, a woman, in preference to us and not openly? And uh, they, they, they just come to the conclusion that if if Jesus made her worthy, as it says in there, who are you to reject her? And um, and for that reason, it says he loved her more than us. Now, there is this, this mystery there. Um, and you know, what's it all mean? What's the essence of this? We've got this, this question about Mary Magdalene. We've got then the Holy Grail. We've got this Gnostic wisdom, um, which has been lost. What is this all about? You know, How can we really get to that now? And I'd say that we can only learn so much by studying ancient texts and looking at it from a historical point of view. We don't even know which of the old texts was written first. We don't know if it was the, the Gospel of, of Mark, if it was one of the Gnostic texts. We don't know the earliest uh, written texts to say, right, this is first, this must be right. We just don't know. We're left with a lot of texts now. Old Testament, sorry, New Testament, Gnostic texts, how do you distinguish between them all? What do you do? If you want to look further into Gnosticism, where do you go? Is that is that a rhetorical question, or do you have the answer? Well, my point of view, I would say that I have the answer in, in looking for the very thing that the Gnostics search for, which is self-knowledge. Uh, what I spoke about last month, uh, about a month ago, body experience, that's one example of self-knowledge. There, there are other ways that we can get this hidden knowledge, uh, and most important of these is the study of ourselves in daily life to see what's going on inside of us. And our own knowledge about ourselves through this, then, in my opinion, from what I've been able to discover, we can then look into those ancient texts and see and unravel their hidden meanings and apply them to ourselves in our daily lives. And that, I think, is, is one of the most important things we can get from Gnosticism today. If we have it as a historical text, we, we'll either just say, yeah, that's good, or uh, believe certain things, disbelieve certain things, but we'll never really know. And the essence of Gnosis in itself is knowledge. And so I think today we, we should turn it into a search for that in knowledge, as the early Gnostic Christians did. Now, um uh, Mr. Pritchard, you teach these classes and and uh, obviously highly spiritual uh, attempts to get in touch with one's inner self. Uh, you uh, you help people to achieve out of out of body ex experiences. Yeah. We talked uh, when you were here before about people who had about people who had 
died and then been brought back and how that is similar to an out of body experience that has been relayed uh, tell us about your website and how people can find out more about you and what you're teaching I have a website and on it I run courses in different aspects of Gnostic study one is out of body experiences astral projection dreams the other is discovery which is looking into our psychology. The other is Gnostic wisdom, which really looks at these more spiritual things that we've been talking about. I run these courses and they're free. I don't charge any money for them. And there's no, there's no money expected at any stage of this. It's truly uh, a voluntary thing. Um, you get them on the, the site www.gnosticweb.com. That's N-O-S-T-I-C-W-E-B.com. And so they take these courses by correspondence or they can come to the classroom? They can come to kind of an online classroom where there's uh, information given every week and uh, recommended reading um, and some exercises to try at home. For example, simple exercises in substance how the various emotions take place, how anger feels, for example, and fear and negativity and all these things, and uh, other exercises such as um, relaxation, um, learning to remember dreams, having out-of-body experiences. They're things that are actually quite quite natural to, to do once we learn how to do them. It's, there's nothing really out of the way um, in them. The, the out-of-body experiences, for example, although there's something very, very profound and, and big, in a sense, just try it as you're going to sleep at night. And, uh, and you learn from daily life. But it, it's teaching how to learn from daily life that's important. Are there, are there the compilations, uh, Mr. Pritchard, of the Gnostic Gospels that are available to purchase? Gnostic Gospels, yes, there are. There's a really good book called the Nag Hammadi Library, and the editor of that is um, M. Robinson. Uh, you can also get a smaller uh, book uh, taken from that called the uh, Gospel of Thomas. And um, National Geographic have recently released the book, uh, the Gospel of the Gospel of what? Judas. Judas, yes, okay. Which might be interesting uh, to have a look at. Yes, well, we're, we're over on this segment, and we have another guest uh, waiting to, to join us, but we certainly, uh, I love this topic, yeah. and and I, I let me say this, this is troubling to my Catholic friends. I don't know why, but it... And, and Roger and I are both raised pretty similar, I think, uh, as Protestants. Right. And, and I have talked to several of my Protestant friends, and I say to them, would it bother you if you if you learned that Jesus was probably married? And with it, invariably they say, no. But my Catholic friends, when I poll them, invariably they say yes. What is a, between Catholicism 
and ordinary Protestantism that causes that uh, divergence? Because celibacy was introduced to Catholicism, but not, not so much to Protestantism. So a rabbi, uh, a, a, so a, a priest uh, having, uh, but everybody knows that celibacy didn't come around until about a thousand years later. That's right. But, you know, it's, it's a long time, and, and today to become a, a priest, you need to become celibate in okay. a Catholic faith. Okay, well, this is something we can take up with Father Biding. <laughs> but we appreciate you uh, taking the time to come back with us, and uh, we will give out the website again, and we hope you can come back and be with us again sometime. Yes, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Okay, Thanks, sir. sir. Good evening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, there he was, Mark Pritchard.